With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Like we always do with this time. I go for mine, I get to shine. Now throw your hands up in the sky. Welcome into the BSN Buffs podcast, coming to you from the extraordinary Blake Street Tavern. Ryan Konigsberg joined by Ali Monroy, Chase Howell, and Sam Weaver after a somewhat thrilling, somewhat boring, somewhat controversial, no matter what adjective you want to put in front of it, it ends with win for the Colorado Buffaloes, uh, and a big one at that. I want to start off this podcast by giving some apologies or giving some credit to people that I think deserve it that I, that I didn't have too much faith in. Number one, Afalabi Laguda balled out in that game, looked like the truth, looked like that player that people were talking about taking a step forward this, uh, this season. So got to give him credit for that, Sam. Got to give you some credit. You were on that train. Uh, the other person, Trey Udofia. I thought CSU was going to have a chance to expose him in that game, a redshirt freshman playing instantly, um, and he balled out four pass breakups, the game-sealing interception, a maybe game-saving strip uh, to kind of continue that streak of CSU having something bad happen to them right after they have something good happen to them. Uh, And then the final one is DJ Elliott, who I felt really had his defense prepared in that game for everything that CSU was going to throw out at them. Um, So those are the three people that I wanted to make sure to give some credit right off the top because I wasn't uh, that sure that that those folks were going to step up in this game. Uh, Chase, I'll start with you. What were your main takeaways? Uh, I think you're right on it there, and I think that uh, DJ Elliott deserves to be one of the stars of this game because uh, we didn't give him enough credit, I believe, before this season about what he can do as a defensive coordinator, and his game plan for CSU couldn't have been any more perfect. And all of the players were saying that after the game. I asked like three or four different ones about what they thought about DJ Elliott's game plan. Obviously, it worked uh, to a T. So it couldn't have been any better. They obviously all have good things to say about DJ Elliott. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for what CSU did. And that whole defense deserves credit. Sam, how about you? Um, I mean, I guess the biggest thing for me was everybody had all these doubts about the defense in general. And... The offense actually ended up being the thing that worries me the most going into week two. I mean, um, Steven Montez had some issues. The offensive line had some issues because they were missing some of their starters. And the defense really just, I mean, they kind of looked almost as good as they did last year. They just kind of took over and took control of everything. Go ahead, Ali. Um, Well, I mean, you guys have really said it all. The defense looked a lot better than we expected it to. And the offense definitely had some question marks on it. Um... I was in, I was surprised by Steven Montez, but, you know, like Philip Lindsay said during the um, weekly luncheon, it, it was his first time being the man, and it's going to take time to develop him and for him to get used to everything. And, you know, he held on to the ball a lot longer than he should have, in my opinion, but there was a lot of issues, or not a lot, but there was a few issues with the offensive line, and I think he just... He's going to need maybe the home opener to kind of loosen up and really get into that momentum and that mentality of I'm this guy, I need to lead this team. Yeah, I think the main kind of uh, theme around this game was that they flipped the script. Uh, the offense that we, be- we all believed would be a strength, a strength point for this team this year and be kind of the horse that, that brings them along wasn't all that great I mean they win an entire second half without scoring you usually don't win when you do that Um, and at the same time the defense which we kind of mentioned we were concerned about came through so I think that's a really good sign for CU because I, I always say this going into a season and going into the last game I even said this 
the first game, your issues usually happen on offense. Offense is so much about timing and rhythm and getting into a rhythm as a play caller. There's so much that you learn about your team and that your team can improve on in the first game of the season on offense. On defense, it's pretty simple. It's do your job, guard your guy, you know, stop what they want to do. So I think it's really encouraging for the Buffs that their defense was able to shut down a team that scored 58 points the week before. And the offense, yeah, I mean, they struggled. They didn't look great, but they'll get back on track. I expect them to, in a game like this, another big game, give the ball to Phillip Lindsay a whole lot more. Um, less than 20 carries for him, still 140 yards. He should be touching the ball 25 times a game at least. So I think they learned a bit about their team, uh, and, and they'll be able to take that as they go forward. The other thing that flipping the script does is now that they play two weaker opponents, we'll put it that way, um, now that they play them, you worry more about if this offense is going to get going. Where When you're playing a weaker opponent, it's kind of harder for your defense to actually be good because of the competition that they're going up against. This offense, all they have to do is score a bunch of points to kind of get going before they have that big opponent against Washington. Absolutely. And it's a perfect time... The schedule sets up perfectly for this offense to get right, get into a rhythm. Uh, you know, you, you shouldn't have to use your starters in this entire game. You shouldn't have to overwork Phil Lindsay. You should be able to get some carries for guys like Michael Atkins, Bo Bishrak going down. Uh, and you should be able to get guys like Juwan Winfrey involved, who wasn't really involved the other night. Uh, Devin Ross, another guy who wasn't really involved. Get all these guys going. It's kind of like the early season kind of reminds me of like, what Kobe used to do with the Lakers back in the day. He used the, the beginning of games to try and get his teammates hot. He knew that when he needed to, he could turn it on, but he would try and get all of his teammates hot. I think that's how the Buffs need to use these next couple games. Get all, get all these guys hot. Get all of them feeling really good about themselves going into that game against Washington. Which is exactly what you want to do against a team like uh, Texas State. Going back to this Colorado State game, a lot of, I guess, controversy is the, is the word we'll use surrounding some of the success that the defense had. Um, three very key offensive pass interferences called on Colorado State and a hands-to-the-face penalty, which this one was clear. There's not much controversy about that one, I don't think. Hands-to-the-face that brought back another touchdown. Allie, what was your reaction to those calls and, and the, the subsequent reaction and, I guess, whining for lack of a better word from all sides at CSU well I was I mean once you start causing a lot of issues like CSU was there the refs are going to notice that what I was surprised about was um Mike Bobo submitted 25 penalties for review and clarification by the Pac-12 officiating office and you said there's only around 12 yeah, I mean, they had 12 penalties in the game. Maybe he was submitting one, like, 13 that he thought should have been called that weren't. That's the only thing I could think of there. But, I mean, it was – I'll say this. I, I couldn't necessarily tell from the stands on first look on some of them. Even some CU fans behind me thought some of the calls were questionable. But I thought Chase had the best point at this. And I'll actually just let you make it yourself, Chase. Uh, well, I've said it quite a few times now, but – the, it all started on a third down play. I believe it was like third and five, third and six, whatever. It was a comeback route by Michael Gallup. On the comeback route, he pushed off on Isaiah Oliver. I thought it was obvious to my eyes, so I had tweeted about it immediately. There was no call. And then about three or four plays later was when they called the first offensive pass interference. So there had to have been something that happened. It was probably the CU, the CU coaches, Coach Mack or whoever, maybe even DJ Elliott, that was complaining about the push-off by Michael Gallup. Gone in the rest said they probably talked about it with each other and said, we're not going to let CSU push off. The next three plays that were even close, and those pass interference calls were all pretty soft. We can admit that. But they were pass interference calls according to Pac-12 officials and the statement that they released later this week. So they were soft, but they had to be called because that's what they started looking for into that game. And here's the other thing. Uh, I actually heard that Oregon State, going back to that game the week before, had complained to the officiating crew that CSU receivers were pushing off in that game. 
So, to me, just based off of kind of putting two and two together here, I think it was kind of a point of emphasis for Mike Bobo teaching his receivers, hey, you can make a little, you can get a little nudge in there. They don't call offensive pass interference all that much, which is true. It hardly ever gets called. And I think that's why it was so surprising for people to see it called over and over and over again. But Michael Gallup's a big boy. He's a strong player. He can use that to his advantage, and I wouldn't be surprised if the CSU coaching staff told him to do that. Now, after he got caught for it once, that would have been my key as a coach to say, hey, they're going to look for it now. Be careful on that. They didn't do that. They just kept, you know, the, the entire receiving core kept going to that same thing, and they got caught for it. So I'll say this. You're right, Chase. They were soft calls, and CSU fans had a bit of a gripe, but you also have to consider the fact that by the rule book, at least two of the three were certainly pass interference. So during the game, CSU fans were obviously upset, (laughs) and that prompted their fans to chant some things that were inappropriate, Inappropriate, and that led to this letter (laughs) to the editor in the Denver Post that I just have to share with you guys because I think it's freaking hilarious. Uh, It's short, so I'll read the whole thing. It was our first Rocky Mountain showdown, and we were excited. We sat adjacent to the CSU student section, and they were very fired up and, and having fun. It was fun to watch until the fun got ugly. To our disbelief, the CSU students began to chant in unison, FCU, over and over. Well, I know this is a football rivalry. The three very young girls in front of us didn't understand that. Football rivalries thrive on insults, but the CSU fans crossed the line into verbal abuse and throwing projectiles. The CSU administration and athletic department should strongly disavow this kind of behavior, and they should apologize not only to CU, but to the public, because we were there too. Chase, (laughs) Allie, Sam, what do you guys think of this awful display by the CSU fans? I don't know. I mean, if you're going to sit next to a student section, you know, you got to be prepared to just see some of the worst things you'll probably ever see. <laughs> Students. CSU fans? Uh, just in general? <laughs> you know, just tailgates in general. Everyone gets rowdy. All this, The student section, that's just like what they live for, especially the Rocky Mountain Showdown. I mean, if you walked around the parking lots um, and you saw some of the little student areas for CU and CSU, you definitely wanted, didn't want your kids around there. Um, so I don't know. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be chanting negative things with kids around. But, I mean, it was also, you got to know where you're sitting. And if you don't want your kids or you don't want to hear all these negative things, you've got to move. The students don't care that don't. you have kids <laughs> at the Rocky Mountain Showdown. That's basically Well, it's not even My, that they don't care. It's that they probably aren't in the state of mind to even really notice. (laughs) When I opened that letter up, I put letter in quotations because it was (laughs) just like a bleak complaint. Um, And I read the first line. It was our first Rocky Mountain showdown. I instantly knew where I was headed. Anyone who has ever been to the Rocky Mountain showdown knows that it is not a family-friendly event. And for better or for worse, the students consume a lot of libations and they get riled up and they yell things and that is to me the most beautiful amazing part of the entire rivalry this is what a rivalry is (laughs) yeah it's it's what makes it fun for me to watch it's people yelling and screaming at each other it's it's profanity it's it's so the passions are running so high for everyone in the stands that it makes it crazy and I'll tell you that my parents don't go to the game anymore because they don't like the way that it's conducted. They don't like the way that people are acting. And whatever, I mean, that's fine. The, the real lesson in here is don't go there expecting anything to be G-rated. Well, just, just go somewhere else. Go sit. There's a, lo- there's a lot of places at Sports Authority Field where you could have sat just away from the student sections. Like, yeah, I mean, you would have heard I, it. They still would have been upset. The, like in the concourse, just, you know, it's just that's what college football is. And these parents bringing these kids in there, like you were probably at one point in your life 
just not as appropriate as you wish you would have been at a game. Or even if you're a CU fan or a CSU fan, you know you probably went to the C the Rocky Mountain Showdown when you were younger, and you probably made some mistakes. Like, this college football, everyone is just getting rowdy, and it's something you kind of need to accept. One of my favorite memories from Friday night, just I have a clear picture of it in my head, so that's why it's my favorite. But um, these CSU fans were sitting a little too close to the CU section. Um, they were a little elderly CSU fans, and I guess they heard something that from a CU student that they didn't quite like because the older gentleman got up and started yelling explicitives back to the no, CU students. No way. And his wife had to pull him back down to the ground. And this is amazing. <laughs> I probably won't forget it because it was pretty awesome. Honestly, like, old people yelling at young people is <laughs> one of the best things. I don't know why. I, personally, I once got yelled at by old people when I was at uh, the McHale Center at uh, University of Arizona basketball. Um, I've told that story on this podcast before, but um, I had, like, this the, – the, the short of it is I had this giant sign – and uh, like an 85-year-old man told told me he was gonna shove the sign up my ass. So <laughs> oh my god! Was, and like that was that was, I don't, that was exactly so comical like this CSU gentleman. That, yeah, that's <laughs> the kind of attitude he had. It was. Um, so in the end, the moral of the story here is that CSU doesn't have to apologize for anything because if they had to apologize, then CU fans would have to apologize because they were chanting and doing the exact same things except for throwing stuff uh, because oh, you usually yeah, don't throw stuff, stuff when you're dominating another school. So. Sorry to the person who wrote that, but no one's apologizing for anything. And no one's going to miss you at next year's Rocky Mountain Showdown. <laughs> the only thing is, like, there. maybe, like, other parent, like, other people who aren't students would, like, apologize. But I don't know. It's just students are going to be students. You really can't control that. Yeah. I mean, I hope that wouldn't deter them from going to a game at, like, Folsom Field. Uh, because there you can kind of avoid it, especially against, like, Texas State. <laughs> no, no one's going to care. Um but the Rocky Mountain Showdown is, is a hostile place that I would never advise anyone to bring their children to. <laughs> well, Ali was going to read some posts from Ram Nation, but uh, if you've ever tried to go to that website, you know that it's uh, one of the worst websites of all time, and it's I'm impossible so to navigate. I'm so confused. So, uh, Ali, why don't you just tell us what the front page of that website looks like? Um, well, yeah, I was going to read some stuff because I heard that some CSU fans were trying to contact the Pac-12 themselves. And I found on the, the first thing I found was contact info Pac-12. Of course, it's in San Francisco. And the staff directory to the Pac-12. Um, there's just a, the whole page is about I, CU. I would pay money to listen to, like, the voicemails of, like, angry CSU well, fans trying heard, to call the Pac-12 I mean, Don't call me on it because I can't find it. But I did read somewhere that fans, CSU fans were calling um, Pac-12 officials leaving voicemails and trying to uh, overflow their voicemails. And just everything is everything is just about the play calls and every everyone on uh, CSU penalty, is calls. penalty calls is really, really, really upset about it. Didn't you say like, how many, what would you say, half of the posts on the front page? I think pretty, like almost all. <laughs> almost all. Well, here's the final thing I'll they say. They lost their Super Bowl. Here's the final thing I'll say about <laughs> this. Is it's, like, so unfortunate for CSU fans because they're so mad. But, like, there's nothing they can ever say to a CU fan. Like, wow. they can complain about that game over and over again. But, like, what are they going to say? Like, yeah, like, look at last year, like, when, like, the refs didn't save you. We had, like, it's just you can always go back to 65-22-2. Um, so, CSU – or CU next year will going for, will be going for the the triple up of CSU in the win column. Um, all right. Well, as always. Oh, I, I actually did find something. Um, it says it's safe to say CU will not score less than 17 the rest of the way. I think this is a CU fan. Um, it was three days ago though, and we still have Ram fans contacting the Pac-12 offices. Nothing says small time like complaining about a few subject calls. Um, and then, and then there's another one that goes, it's honest, honestly pathetic CU fans wouldn't have p to put the same work in. Against the Pac-12 corruption after games you got screwed over, I guess you just don't care enough about integrity. Fifth down championship. There's just like a lot, guys. I C mean, if you're bored. CU fans will never apologize for winning a game because of the refs. And that's a fact. 
uh, <laughs> as always, got to remind you that we are coming from the Blake Street Tavern. Um, just a, it's a great, a grand old place. Uh, a long homestand here. Four straight games in the state of Colorado to start the season here. But I promise you, when that first road game comes, Chase, where is it? UCLA. So at UCLA, in that matchup, you must be here at the Blake Street Tavern if you want to have the time of your life. Uh, there is no better place, and I can say this with 100% conviction, there is no better place to watch an away CU football game than at the Blake Street Tavern. It gets, it's crazy. It's, it's like, you I've could never argue, seen anything like it. You could argue it's more of a party than any other thing besides the tailgates in the parking lot before the Rocky Mountain showdown. I mean, you just can order drinks on drinks on drinks throughout the whole game. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. You can't, when you're at the CU game, when you're at Folsom, there's a certain extent of drinks you can order because you can't in the stadium. But here, you can just get as many drinks as you want. Yeah, I mean, you can go to the beer garden, but like no one's just going straight to the beer garden over and over and over again. This is just one giant beer garden where you watch the game <laughs> They play the fight song. The fight song is played every single commercial, I think. I, I will have to say my brother was here last Friday, and he said they didn't play the fight song the whole second half, and he was disappointed in that. Well, there wasn't any chances yeah, to really play I think it, it was because there were no touchdowns. They could play and the fight song boring. after some called back touchdowns or <laughs> some strips or interceptions. But uh, on a more serious note, uh, Anthony Julmis. Jomis? Jomisi? You guys always... Jomis. Jomis. Come on, right? Officially dismissed uh, earlier in the month, or I guess earlier in August. Right before August, the semester started. Yeah, right before school. August 28th, right before school started. That became uh, public today. See you not really divulging any more than just saying he was dismissed from the program. Um, unfortunate for a kid who, like we've said before, by all accounts... Uh, was respected in the program and, and people people liked him. Yeah, and I think the hope for a lot of people is that he will leave for a few months and come back in January is usually when Coach Mack brings him back and he'll go on a year sabbatical and hopefully learn about himself and become a better person. It's exactly what Evan Worthington did and you can see how much he has grown as a person just by talking to him. He's and grown so much his name changed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, Coach McIntyre said multiple times that he's turned. He went from a kid to a man since he's been back. So, you can learn a lot from it, and I think that that's what everybody is hoping for—a kid that still could have a bright future. I agree with that. My my concern is, I mean, he had a, an issue at the beginning. I mean, and that was the domestic violence charges, and you you would think he would he would have learned a little bit from that. But then he went in and made a simple like little mistakes that then caused it to even escalate even more and so what is concerning to me is does he learn from this or does he continue to make little mistakes like this that are just gonna make it so that it's it's really hard for CU and for Coach Mack to end up forgiving him and letting him to get back on the team. I think um, I think from what we've heard of different accounts of the second situation like involving the car accident um. Um, is that he like panicked in the situation because he saw that he was going to get in trouble. He was driving a car that wasn't his, like at least somebody in the car had been drinking is what he told police. So I don't, I don't necessarily think it's like him continuing to make a bunch of mistakes. Obviously I don't know, but that situation to me seemed like just like bad judgment call, just like Definitely. in the moment. So just hopefully like really bad judgment call. Absolutely. He tried to pay totally. off the guy. Like, it, yeah. I mean, if he had just hit the car in front of him, yeah, maybe his dad would have gotten his dad, right. his friend might have gotten in trouble with his parents. But right. like, you do, you don't get arrested. You don't get you don't have all these charges. He had four charges, I'm pretty sure, on on a simple mistake. He hit yeah. someone. It, like that could have been settled real quick. Insurance, like insurance and everything. It yeah. wasn't just little like it. It was a little mistake turned very big. Right. That was something that really showed immaturity to me. Um, it's a very juvenile thing to do to make a mistake and then make continuous mistakes as you try and cover it up. It's like, as I'm sure all of our parents said to us, it's not, it's not that you did it, it's that you lied about it, you know? And that's how you end up getting in real trouble. Um, if Anthony Julmis did not do if he just got in an offender bender 
whatever. He got in trouble for driving his friend's car, blah, blah, blah. He'd probably be playing at the very latest this week. Um, he probably would have played last week, to be honest. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate to see, but like Chase said, Mac will come out in a couple weeks and say we've laid out a path for him. He needs to get good grades. He needs to stay out of trouble. And if he can do that, we'll give him a second chance. So I think everyone here is in agreement in the sense that we hope that you know he can get his Definitely. stuff straightened out. Uh, along the lines of legal stuff and controversy and whatnot, um, news comes out today that Pamela Fine, who is no longer going over under a pseudonym, uh, the victim in the Joe Tumpkin alleged domestic abuse case, uh, came out and has filed a lawsuit against the University of Colorado, or I guess not exactly against the university, against Tumpkin, McIntyre, George, DiStefano, and Benson. Um, and I'll read to you the statement um, from Pamela Fine uh, in the release sent to us today from her law firm. On December 9th, 2016, when I reached out to Coach McIntyre, it was out of fear for Joe, myself, other women, the players, and the community of Boulder because Joe had become very dangerous to himself and others. I didn't want to publicly hurt Joe, the coaching staff, and their wives, and all the Colorado football players who had worked so hard to get to their first bowl game. I wanted to protect my abuser and the people around him. I finally picked up the phone to tell my truth to a trusted leader whom I believed would help Joe. Instead, I unintentionally walked into a world that I had read about but did not believe. For that, I apologize to every survivor whom I secretly questioned in my head as I read their stories of being marginalized and re-victimized by the machine of college athletics. So this is no longer about protecting the man who abused me and the powerful men who decided not to do what they were normally contractually or morally contractually and legally required to do. I am no longer protecting the men who silence victims in the name of winning football games. I am now standing up for the young women who sit in my office where I am a dean in a large public high school every day getting ready to go off to college. They deserve to be safe. They deserve to be heard. They deserve a different future than the women who came before them. My voice is now for them. Obviously a very powerful statement there. And the lawsuit, uh, which is tons of pages long, um, details um, a bunch of different wrongdoings that they believe um, were done uh, to the victim in this case. Go ahead, Allie. What I also found interesting was that in the lawsuit they go in and talk about every single count that CU has had since the 1999 revolving sexual assault, sexual, all of these issues. They go in detail about every single one. Yeah, uh, it, was a, it was a powerful um, release. And I thought CU, uh, who Sam reached out to for a comment, came back with a powerful statement. And they said uh, to Sam, the claims in the lawsuit are not well-founded factually or legally, and we will defend our employees aggressively. So, uh, a lot to dissect here. We've, been, we've talked a lot about this case here on the podcast. Um, but my big takeaway here uh, is that the light, I think, uh, punishments that were doled out in the original findings uh, of this case will not be the end of it. Um, for the coaches and the administrators. And they were clearly unacceptable by the victim because or she wouldn't be going on with this. And so obviously she wasn't happy with the donations that they had to make and the statements that they had to release. So it was too little for her. And so they have to do more. Yeah, I mean, she talked about how the reason that she is doing this, like she said in her statement, was she realized she had to rely on herself to right the wrong that she the wrongs that she had endured and and then to make it and to make sure no one else would endure such abuse again um those were the words right before her statement and you know i mean we talked about it when it came out the punishments that were given and i mean i think we all agreed they were pretty light there's a lot of takeaways from this but if cu would have handled this in the proper ways um, what what they you know would have wanted, which was kind of to sweep this under the rug, could have actually happened. Um, the victim in this case was not on a scorched earth path trying to take down the University of Colorado. In fact, she was really trying to do them a favor. Um, I know a lot of people defending CU in this case have said she should have gone to the police, and she very well could have gone to the police, uh, and this would have been a whole different story. The thing is, she gave CU 
an out in the, this case. And I think some people might argue that she did the wrong thing to start that. But from a CU perspective, that was their window to handle this internally, to take care of it in the right ways. And we would never be standing here at this point. The, the eye-popping part of this is just how horrible CU handled it. And that's why this isn't going to go away for them. Um, you know, had Coach Mack continued to be an outlet for her and take her calls against what I'm sure his lawyers were telling him, which we've gone over a lot, had they gone through the chain of command and talked to the Title IX people, had they done everything that they were supposed to do in this case and, and said, hey, um, you know, we're going to suspend Joe Tumpkin, we're going to get you all the help that you need, whatever we can do to provide support for you, so on and so forth, had they done that, we wouldn't be at this point right now. Um, and that, to me, um, among a whole bunch of other concerning things about this case, that's the, that's the big issue, is that CU had a chance to handle this the right way, and we, we've talked about this a lot, uh, but they blew it. And now this is going to haunt them for a while. Yeah, this is going to just keep going on and on and on. Um, like you said, they really did handle it in not the best way, but also I think we also talked about this a lot before. In my opinion... Yes, there was a lot Mike McIntyre could have done, but he did go to his chain of command. He did talk to the people in front of him, and the people ahead of him were the ones who didn't make the best decisions. And I agree, he probably should have contacted the uh, alleged victim and let him know and let her know what he was doing and what was going on. But then legal issues come along, and to me, Mike McIntyre although he could have handled it better, did do what he is supposed to do. He told um, Rick George, and then he told Stefano, and that, that's their issue to take care of. The higher up the, tr the chain of command you go in this, the worse the actions were. Oh. Mike McIntyre, you, you kind of get the feeling at the beginning of this, was go coming from the heart. You know, He did talk to her, and he did talk to her on the phone. As it got more and more serious, he realized it was probably above his head. He, was, he wanted to make sure he wasn't getting in trouble. He passed it up, uh, up along the chain of command. Um, and from there is where things got really sticky uh, in this situation. But I think the overarching takeaway from this is, uh, you know, you, you hope the best for the alleged victim. You hope that uh, justice is served in this case. You hope that Joe Tumpkin, um, you know, can get his life together and, and um, you know, fix his own personal issues. Uh, I think... In the end, um, there's going to be uh, greater punishment doled out because of this, uh, and we'll see what that is. Uh, but in the meantime, you wish the best for all the people involved, especially Definitely. the alleged victim. Well, a bit of a awkward transition here, but we do have to get to talk about uh, a football game that is happening this weekend at the University of Colorado. Uh, the Buffs on Saturday at noon will welcome in the Texas State Bobcats and their mascot, Boko the Bobcat, which I just learned reading about the Texas State Bobcats. Uh, and by all accounts, while this might have been a scary game for CU like two years ago even, uh, I think the Buffs have finally gotten to the point where teams like Texas State should not pose a threat to them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't. I mean, they're not going to say it, but they're probably not that worried about Texas State this weekend. Um, they played a pretty good game against Houston Baptist. They beat them, obviously. And their transfer quarterback started in this game. Uh, he's Mississippi State transfer. Coach Mack has talked about him a few times already. Uh, he went 18 for 28, which is right around 65%. No TDs, but he ran the ball well. Their uh, option team, so he also had 43 yards on the ground. Um, so dual threat, but he doesn't throw it all that well. He's basically like a weaker Dak Prescott. I like to think of Mississippi State, so I'm going with that. All right, a weaker Dak Prescott. Uh, that sounds kind of scary when you say it that way. <laughs> well, a less accurate Dak Prescott. Let's go with that. Still not feeling great about it. No, but, uh, again, these are the games now where CU needs to find a way to get right offensively, um, get into a rhythm. Um, they're the type of games, honestly, you don't want to discredit an opponent, but these – are CU's equivalent of preseason games, uh, and uh, you know, as they are to the NFL. The, the goal is get in a rhythm, don't get anyone injured, and not have to play the starters in the second half. Um, 
obviously you probably bring them out if you can blow if you can blow a team out enough in the first half you bring the starters out for the first drive of the third quarter and then get them out of there would be ideal but anything can happen uh and leo jackson kind of talked about that the other day yeah definitely i mean they were asked multiple questions and philip Lindsay and leo jackson talked about never underestimating the opponent um philip Lindsay talked about how texas state is a team that's physical they fly around quote anytime you play a team that has athletes you never know what's going to happen because athletes make big plays periods we have to stay disciplined um you have to go in there and handle business no matter who you play. And then Leo Jackson went in and talked about what he's seen on film. He said that, uh, quote, we have to be very disciplined because they play option football and they have a mobile quarterback. That's the biggest thing. When you're working with athletes, anything can happen because they can make things happen out of nothing. That's what it comes down to, fundamentals and discipline. Yeah, I liked Phil's quote talking about how you can't look at a logo on a helmet or oh, the yeah. name on the front of that the jersey. Awesome. You just have to go out there and play Colorado football, and I think that has to be the attitude for the team going into this game is if Philip Lindsay goes out there and he's Philip Lindsay and Steven Montez goes out there and he's Steven Montez and Shea Fields and Rick Gamboa, and you can go down the line. If those guys just play the way they're supposed to, they'll blow this team out with ease. Now, if those guys go in there and start thinking about, okay, what touchdown celebration am I going to do when I get in the end zone and, um, you know, what's my sack celebration and how many points are we going to score and, oh, like – Steven, you got to get me over 200 yards receiving this week. That's when you start getting yourself in trouble. And, and we see it every single year in college football. We can sit here on this podcast right now and talk about how they need to take, how easily it should be to take care of Texas State. Every single year, there's probably double digit upsets of this caliber. Last week, we saw Howard University, oh. who was 40 point fav- uh, underdogs, beat UNLV. This stuff happens. Like Definitely. this game will have a smaller spread than that, probably. So uh, that was the, I think, the biggest upset in the history of college football in terms of point spread. Things happen, um, so it's really important. This is this is a coach's game. The coaches, it's on them to make sure their team stays focused going into this one. And I think, like you said, um, Philip Lindsay. I mean, that's what you want to hear from Philip Lindsay. His quote, just talking about how. You don't look at, like you said, you don't look at who the decal on the helmet is because at the end of the day, everyone is capable of making plays. And he later on went and said, Coach Mack has prepared us all ball camp for this year, and we have a goal. Our goal is to get back to the Pac-12 championships and win it. That's what we're striving for. We're going to get there. We just have to continue to tune up. I think quotes like that you really want to hear from one of your star, your, your star leaders. Yeah, I'd love to see them uh, in the next two weeks get uh, – I can do this. I can look ahead. Get Phil's Heisman campaign a little bit of uh, steam. 140 yards in the first game, like, that's a great start. Now get him, like, 160, get him Definitely. a little 180. <laughs> uh, let him break off a couple early in the game. And get those numbers uh, Get those numbers going so he can actually get in the, in the national spotlight. But you want those numbers to be high in the first half, and you don't want to yeah. see him rushing at all in the second half because – I'm hoping to see a lot of Bo Bishrot. They have to find out what they have in him because they're going to have to have him be the guy next year. So I'm hoping these next two games you get to see a lot of Bo. But you also, Phil has to get enough yards to stay in Heisman contention. I think all Bus fans are going to be hoping for that. Why all I want not? is like a little bit of noise around Phil Lindsay and the Heisman going into like week six or seven where he can have like an amazing game in a, in a, a high caliber national TV game and just burst onto the scene. Um, nationally, but look, I, I look at it this way: as CU just simply takes care of business and they do their job in the next two weeks, they are well on their way to becoming a bowl team. And we've said uh, before this season, really, if you make it to a bowl this year, that's success. That's success. Um, and you start three and zero, you're pretty much on your way to a bowl. We've seen this team. Um, we saw what we saw from the defense last week. Their goals could be their goals could be a lot higher than that, and they could reach those goals but hey six seven wins this year is a solid season take care of business in the next two weeks and you're well on your way i think the most important thing in this week and the week after that as well is that the offense has to prove that last week was just a misstep not like what they're going to look like all season so i think the offense really has to get going they have to get those receivers involved and honestly they can't get complacent or feel like they have all these easy games on their schedule because right on the other side of that is Washington and that is going to be a really tough matchup and they can't just 
like get comfortable heading that way? Yeah, uh, I've I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but Tad Boyle told me a couple years back that when you play teams like this, um, you don't look ahead. But as a coach, there's some tricks that you can use um, to help your team prepare for the game and next. And this will be more next week when they play Northern Colorado. But what Mike McIntyre will do is he'll go dig up the Washington film and he'll go dig up the Northern Colorado film. And he'll find every single thing that those two teams do that are similar and and crush those in practice. Work really hard on everything Northern Colorado does that Washington does. So then next week, uh, miraculously, as when you're Mike McIntyre, you go, hey, remember that thing we were talking about last week about how Northern Colorado does this, this, and this? Guess what? Washington does that too, so we already have a head start on that. Um, so that's kind of the coach's trick to prepare for a team as well as looking forward at the same time. And, hey, if there's something that Washington does that Texas State also does, they'd probably be able to, to work on that too this week. Some fun facts. About <laughs> Brian Texas loves State. his fun facts. Some fun facts about Texas State. A U.S. president attended there. Because of a U.S. president. <laughs> uh, An Ivy? U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson. LBJ. <laughs> attended the university then known as, get this, Southwest Texas State Teachers College. <laughs> oh, wow. I think what we should refer to Texas State as <laughs> for the rest of the, the week. Basically, every other notable alumni that went there is a country singer, and that is the extent of my research on their, on their program. So uh, I'm disappointed. You could have done better. Well, okay. <laughs> they have really good tacos oh, I in San Marcos. That. That's uh, that all I got. That was a bad idea. In these early season matchups, there are usually some great names on the team. Chase, I know you pointed out a couple. We were we aren't going to do the all name draft because Thank Allie God. and Sam are here, and that'd be awkward. Um, uh, why always, would that be awkward? They always get embarrassed in these sort of things. No, we, we don't, don't get, get embarrassed, embarrassed because we're very aware of the fact that we aren't good. We're just bad at it, yeah. and that's upsetting. It's, it's not, not embarrassing. embarrassing. It's upsetting. It's upsetting that you make us do it. Well, that's right. something that you guys have that CSU doesn't is you know you're bad and uh, <laughs> that you aren't going to win. So I give you guys credit for that. Allie and I are going to start practicing and like cramming for the best name. All name drafts? Yeah, for the all name no, Chase, what do you got for me? No, people the all name draft. Well, they do. my favorite name um, we talked about a little bit, Easy Onyama. It's as easy as that. Like If your name is Easy, <laughs> that's you're cool. on that the top of all funny. name team See, right that's there. good. I got that, that one. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a guy but, named Preston Dimery, which, like, if he was a quarterback, just Dimery yeah, all day. Yeah, that is a great quarterback safety. name. Uh, Thurman Morbley. I like that one. There was a name that ry- rhymed on. Oh, there it is. I, I, I'm a sucker for rhyme names. Gabe Schrade. It's close enough to a rhyme where, like, obviously it's not an exact rhyme, but it's a rap rhyme. Gabe but, Schrade. There's a... Um, Daisy, what what did I figure out? Daisy on? Daisy on, yeah. D E Z E A N, Daisy on Gardner. What was the best one? Um, 78. Craig Lemons. (laughs) When life gives you lemons, you spell your name K R E G G. For Craig, that is a perfect. (laughs) Uh, So that is Texas State football, the Bobcats. Um, And if CU. Oh! No. Oh! Oh, No. you lose this game they should fold the program oh wow wow that was an intense take ryan it was bold good thing i didn't say that before they played montana state and dan (laughs) hawkins first ever game or else we wouldn't be sitting here right now (laughs) all right well before we get out of here we did have one question come in uh from one of our loyal listeners uh at go buffs three said question for your next podcast how much excitement is on campus following the win over csu students pumped for the rest of the season question mark uh, I will turn this to the three of you because the only campus I'm ever on is the Denver Broncos headquarters campus. Uh, from what I've seen in my one year at CU, uh, fan- students, they don't really get that, that excited about the football team. They get excited to go to games and get really drunk. But other than that, they're not as much into the football team itself. Um, we might have a few loyal listeners to the podcast, but other than that, they're not – constantly trying to get information about the team and they don't all care that much um i haven't seen much more excitement this week from just walking around so far 
and I don't really expect them to get that excited until maybe Washington week, I hope. For me, I'm just going to – last year I had that same exact take, Chase, and from what I had seen on campus – and I got some hate on Twitter from it. And, you know, people said that maybe it was the social group that I surrounded myself around. But, I mean, it really, things have changed. And after last season, you know, a lot of people were pumped for this year. And I don't think that's changed that much. But from what I heard from a lot of the students, the CU-CSU game was pretty boring. You know, there wasn't a shootout like they thought it was going to be. They didn't see much from the offense, and they just wanted to sing the fight song and score touchdowns. And, you know, there are some fans. There is there is the Folsom Frenzy. There are those groups that are super dedicated, and they watch every game, and they listen to every podcast, and they know those things. But a lot of the – there's a lot of students who, like I said last year, would rather win the tailgate than win the actual game. And I think with CU having a winning season last year – that's changed a little. I mean, you definitely want to go to the game. I think they might have sold a lot more um, student passes this year, which is great. But you need this con- program can, needs to continue to be good for around three or four consecutive years for fans to really be like, wow, like see you the football school. Because still to this day, I don't hear people coming to see you for the football program. It's not Notre Dame. It's not Alabama. It's not those big. It's not Ohio State. You don't come to see you for the football. From what I've experienced my own opinion if you tweet at me telling me that i'm hanging out with the wrong crowd i really want to find the crowd that actually cares about cu football so someone <laughs> someone show yeah, me up. no one hangs out with more of a sports-based crowd than the people who are sitting here at this <laughs> table yeah um, the people who are so in love with sports that they've attempted to make their career involved with it so the student section was like half empty with half of the fourth quarter left yeah fans got bored they wanted to go party in denver here you hit the nail on the head when your football team is so bad for so long, you weed out football fans. People stopped coming to see you because of the football program. And this isn't the 90s where people said, oh, my God, I want to go there. Their team looks awesome. They're black and gold. Uh, their colors are amazing. I want to wear them. It's just not that way. People come to Boulder for different reasons, and there are plenty of other reasons to want to come to Boulder. Definitely. You keep winning. Put yourself in that position. Then all of a sudden people will say, damn, that, that place looks cool. Um, everyone knows except for a lot of people involved in the educational administration. Everyone knows there's no better advertisement for your school than a good football team. Um, So if CU can sustain some success, you'll see that pay off in admission numbers, or I should say um, application numbers, and you'll see it pay off in terms of student ticket sales because people will start coming to the school for football. I definitely don't think it's also regarding having to be national championship like going to the national championship. I think just consecutively going to bowl games will get fans and students a lot more pumped and a lot more into the program. Well, you'll have more students that you'll have more students that uh, want to go to see you for the football team, which for anyone that's not a freshman this year, they didn't go to see you to go to football games. They probably had other ideas. Uh, I'm sure there's probably a lot of freshmen that saw the rise last year we're like that's pretty cool i want to go to see you i'm sure that's a thing but as years go on that'll start to build and we'll start to see that probably well it's it's two things right like it's legacy like you guys are talking about like how long has it been since texas had like a good season but their stadium's always packed because it's like their history and then the other thing is it's really hard to get hype for like a texas state matchup like i don't want to go watch that game like i do because i love football but like a lot of people aren't going to care to watch that matchup. And the people who really care about football, that's not like a good game. That's not necessarily going to be great football to watch. So I think that's the other problem. The only thing I'm excited about this week is going into Folsom Field, the greatest place on earth. Uh, <laughs> watching Ralphie run, you know, around the horseshoe. No, not one single person is like, damn, can't wait to watch this scintillating matchup. So this is a bad week to ask. Now, here's the good thing. Two weeks from now, when the Buffs are 3-0, and a bunch of people who didn't pay attention the last two weeks will be like, oh, damn, they're 3-0, and they'll have no idea they beat the Little Sisters of the Poor twice uh, or three times, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> but they won't know that, and they'll be like, oh, my God, we're 3-0 going into the Washington game. They'll be, I mean, they might have a chance to get into the top 25 if some teams just fall out because they came into the season at, what, 27. So people aren't excited right now, but they will get there. 
I think if CU destroys Washington, like I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I think if that if that does happen, not even destroys, you know, beats them by two or more touchdowns. CU fans are going to go yeah, how is that crazy. Happening? I'm not saying it's going to, but I'm saying, like, can you imagine? I mean, that's like the underdog just come back. Like, after the Washington game, I think you'll see a lot of fans stay interested and a lot of fans become disinterested. It's and, you know, with the Pac-12 conference being so good this year, it's just, I don't know, you know, fans, if students, students are going to, you're really going to see where they go fall off or they start coming up during the after the Washington game. If that happens, CU fans will start talking about a national championship. That's <laughs> just how uh, they are. Uh, but I, I don't <laughs> expect them to win that football game, and, and we'll get to that I mean, yeah, I'm just saying, now. like, can you imagine just the underdog, like, that matchup, and they, they win that, and they, you know, kind of make a name for themselves after losing so badly in the Pac-12 championship? Yeah, it'll be great. And uh, we'll see if that has any chance of happening. But, hey, I'll say this. No one in the Pac-12 looked all that impressive in the last week, despite uh, being undefeated, I think, in the first week of the season. Right. No one blew any no one. UCLA. I mean, no one looked that great. UCLA had an amazing UCLA comeback. Dominated. But they looked like trash in the first half. Yes. So. Yeah, they didn't dominate anything well, except for the fourth <laughs> I mean, quarter. they just came back. But I was impressed with Washington State. Uh, Luke Falk came out and went 20 for 20 on his first 20 throws. So I'll have to. Luke th- Falk is the truth. He's like, to me, he reminds me of Tom Brady in like a college football version of him. But he is, he, he makes all those tight window short throws look real easy. Um. Excited but for these conferences. I just games. Didn't, I didn't think anyone in the Pac-12 like came out and like made a national right. statement. Right. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, my main takeaway from that was that this thing is still open. Uh, USC is not did not look like this juggernaut that's going to blow everyone away in the Pac-12 this year. UCLA uh, got their asses handed to them for three quarters, and then something weird happened. Von Miller left the game, and <laughs> uh, but. I, this is this is open, and it was last year, and I, I think it, it's more open this year. We'll get there, and uh, by the time we talk to you next, the Buffs will be w- one more game down the road, and, and we'll be even closer to that Washington matchup. Um, but for the time, for Ali Monroy, Chase Howell, for Sam Weaver, I'm Ryan Konigsberg. Thank you for tuning in to the BSN Buffs podcast.